The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to New Reflections. This week, we have a real high-brow discussion that we're going to have. It's all about brow lifts. Brow lifts are a fairly popular procedure. They stay in the top 10. There were 47,000 brow lifts performed in the United States in 2011. It's a pretty common procedure that's done a lot in combination with facelifts, with eyelid surgery, and, and there's a reason particularly for the eyelid surgery. We'll talk about that. This has been an operation that's been done since 1910. The first brow lift that was ever recorded was by a, a German doctor by the name of Eric Lexer. Dr. Lexer did the first brow lift in 1910, and we've come a long way since then. Uh, there have been a lot of advancements in techniques, and we're going to talk about that today. There's lots of ways to do a brow lift, and we'll talk about the different approaches. And you have to be careful who you're choosing to do a brow lift on. And if you're thinking about having one done, you've got to make sure it's something that's going to make you look better and not different in a not-so-good way. This is one of those procedures that really needs to be done judiciously. You can't just go ahead and do a brow lift on anybody because I think we've all seen people that maybe look a little overdone, kind of a bright-eyed look, and you want to avoid that. But for the right patient, this can be a terrific procedure that can truly brighten their expression. Now, joining us today, we have two guests. We're going to have Dr. Jay Calvert and Dr. Mike Dixon. Both of them are board-certified plastic surgeons, and they're going to share their experience with brow lifts. We're going to be talking about the different brow lift techniques and uh, when we get towards uh, later into the show, when Dr. Dixon joins us, actually there are very similar techniques that are used to treat migraines. So we'll talk about how brow lift techniques have been uh, applied to the treatment of migraines, and uh, maybe that can help some of you that are listening. I want to remind you, if you have any questions, please feel free to call in. It's 866-472-5792. We'll be happy to take your questions live on the air and answer anything you'd like to discuss. Well, let me get into our discussion about brow lifts. We're going to begin with Dr. Jay Calvert, a board-certified plastic surgeon practicing in Beverly Hills. Dr. Calvert, thanks for joining us on New Reflections. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate it. appreciate you spending your morning with us. Uh, Tell me, uh, Dr. Calvert, who's a good candidate for a brow lift? When you, when you see someone in the office, when, when are you recommending this? What do you see? Well, there are several categories of patients that uh, fall into good candidates for brow lifts. The first that is the most common is the patient that's coming in for a facelift 
probably a patient from age 46 up to 62, 63, and they have some brow descent. Their brow is dropped down, and it's hooding their upper eyelids. So the skin of the brow and the brow itself need to be elevated to a more aesthetically pleasing position. The second category is the younger patient, usually from age 32 to 45, who never really had a good-looking brow to begin with. It was always sort of low, and as they've aged a bit, it's kind of closed down their face and made their eyes look a bit tired. And so they're, they're thinking about a brow lift mostly just to open up their face and look more beautiful. The last set of patients is a patient who have a functional problem where their brow has descended to a point that is actually obstructing their vision. And these are patients where uh, they probably also have excess skin of the upper eyelids and then a, a drop in the brow, and you're really looking at a functional reason to do the brow lift. Okay. Now, there's you know, three different reasons to do it, but let's talk about technique. How are you – well, there's lots of ways to do it, right? So let's talk about the classic technique is what we call a coronal brow lift. And that's probably the most tried-and-true technique. It's probably what Dr. Lexer did in Germany many years ago. Let's talk about what a coronal brow lift is. And for me, this is really almost more historic than something that we're doing today too much. I mean, it might be the right patient for this procedure, but for, for reasons that we'll talk about – I think the coronal lift is more of an historic technique than it is a modern technique. But why don't you explain what the coronal brow lift is? The coronal brow lift is, uh, is I agree with you, it is a, a historic procedure. The last one I did was when I was a resident. And it's really where you make a, an incision from, the, from ear to ear and you peel the entire forehead down uh, off of the skull like you're peeling it, like an orange peel off of an orange. And you elevate the uh, brow by uh, releasing muscles and the things that we do today, you know, through more more minimally invasive techniques. But you you actually elevate the brow through skin excision, and it is a big incision. It does leave the patient with a lot of numbness of the forehead. But I can tell you, even though it, to you uh, to you and me, it's a historic procedure. There are still people that use this as their go-to procedure for brow lifts, and it, and it is it's not quite gone yet. Well, yeah, and the thing is, we, I was talking about in the introduction, we all see folks that are walking around that kind of have the deer in the headlights, and it, these are the people that everyone always talks about when they say, oh, my God, you, the plastic surgeons make people that look like freaks, you know, the, all the naysayers for cosmetic procedures point to patients that are walking around that are overdone, and, and I think this procedure particularly uh, not necessarily the coronal brow lift, but it's, it's probably the most often technique that's used when it's overdone. Uh, I think that is what they're looking at. So, you know, the coronal brow lift, as you said, we're talking about a procedure where we make an incision that goes over the top of the head from ear to ear. And it's a pretty long incision. And, yeah, and, it, and it doesn't really, I, I agree, I don't like the way that this procedure looks. It makes the uh, it makes the patient look like they're they're surprised or they, you know, they got some shocking news of some kind and and, and it isn't attractive. <laughs> the idea with the brow lift is to make the patient look better, not different. And I I think the coronal brow lift, you know, there are some people who can really gain control of the brow and get a great result with it, but oftentimes they just don't like the way it turns out and it uh, it looks unnatural. But it, it is still being done today by a lot of practitioners. Yeah, I think there's there may be a role for it in very limited uh, patients. You know, when if you're if you're out there thinking about 
having a brow lift, you think you might need one. I mean, the patient that's going to benefit from a coronal brow lift, in my opinion, is someone that has lots of extra skin. These are people that have folds. Sometimes you'll see these kind of ridges in their forehead that can really be smoothed out. Just a, a lot of redundant, thick, hanging skin. And typically you see this more in men than women. Uh, so there might be the patient that will benefit from the coronal technique. But, you know, this kind of brings us to something I wanted to talk about before we continue going through the different techniques. Since we're talking about the coronal lift, and, and you and I seem to both agree that it can make you look a little startled or surprised, let's talk about why. There's a balance between where the brow is and what the eyelids look like. So let's talk a little bit about that. When you're seeing a patient that comes to the office, you know, a lot of times they don't, you know, this is, a, this is not a procedure, by the way, that in my office, people don't come in and say, I want a brow lift. They'll come in and they'll say, I look tired. You know, my eyes, I look tired. People are always asking me if I'm tired I'm, and I, I just, I can't stand it anymore. I got to do something about it. I feel like I look tired. People ask me if I'm tired. I, what can I do to make it, you know, to look refreshed? And when you're looking at a patient, you're assessing the eyes and the position of the brow at the same time because there's a balance there. Can you tell tell us about the way you're assessing a new patient and how you're considering brow position and how the eyes look, particularly the upper eyelids? How are you figuring out the balance there? Well, you know, and that's what, that's this is what I always come down to in the end with uh, with any aesthetic procedures. The whole goal is to make people look better. So if you don't understand what good-looking is, for that individual patient, you're going to make bad choices for them. Because you're right, patients don't come in and say, I want a brow lift. They say, I want to look brighter, they say, I want to look better, I want to look younger, I want to look fresher. Those are the requests, and it's our job as board-certified plastic surgeons to understand where the role of the brow lift fits into that, that continuum of aesthetic surgery. And brow lift is something that's done when you really see that the brow has curled under the, the bones of the, the eye socket. Um, it may be that it's, that it's down lower out towards the lateral part of the face, so maybe the brow has bad direction. In other words, the part of the brow that's towards the outside of the eyelid is, is down, and the part that's over by the nose is up, and it can make the patient look like they've they lost their keys, or they, they don't know what what's going on, and they and they, it makes them actually look a little less smart. And so, <laughs> by changing the brow position and getting the tail of the brow to curl up, and I always think about you know classic beauties like uh, you know an Audrey Hepburn or um, you know some of these these women who have these amazing brows that sweep from you know the the middle of the face out laterally over the forehead above the the bones of the eye socket. It looks beautiful, and it makes them look uh, sultry and and softer, and and uh, really is it's attractive. For men, it's totally different. For men, they just don't want to look like they've got skin in their and and brow hairs in their eyes. So just getting the brow up to the level of the orbital rim is the key. Men don't want to have them elevated above the the uh, eye socket. It just looks you know then they they look bizarre and strange, and you start to get into that surprised look. So okay, so that, that's a great female. And the ethnicity and the look of the patient, you really have to sit with the patient and ask them, do you like this? Do you like that? And get an idea of what they find attractive. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree completely. And you bring up a really important point. There's a big difference between men and women and where the brow should be. And here's a test for those of you listening. You want to see if, if your brow 
meets what we would consider sort of the aesthetic ideal. And of course, there's big ranges, right? So don't get hung up on this little test. It's a very simple, quick and dirty way to see if your brow is, quote unquote, in the right place for a man or a woman. And so what I tell my patients to, to do, or if, if you're listening, give this a shot. You can take your finger and, and place it on the bone, the, the big, thick bone that's right above your eye. If you're a man and you're putting your finger on top of that bone, you want your brow to be either directly under your finger or slightly below your finger. And that's fine for a man. If you're a woman, you want your, your eyebrow to be underneath your finger and even slightly above your finger. And the shape is also very important. For a man, a man's eyebrow has a little bit more of a flat shape. It does curve upward as you go away from the nose a little bit and then curves back downward. But a female, a, a woman's brow, an eyebrow shape, should have more of, an, of a high tail as you head out towards the ear and then curl back downward. And we talk about thirds. So you want at the two-thirds point, when you're moving away from your nose, at the two-thirds point should be the peak of the brows. You have a nice, gentle slope that's going upwards, and then I get to that two-thirds point, and then it'll curl back down towards the tail of the eyebrow. And so those are the quick ways to take a look and see where you stand and how your eyebrow shape is. And, of course, there are lots of different things that will vary on what's in fashion. Years ago, it was very fashionable to have very, very thin, you know, Cleopatra-like eyebrows. And that led to a problem where people would tweeze them to death and, and shape them to the death, and then they ended up having not much eyebrow left. And uh, now we're seeing kind of thicker eye, eyebrows are, are more in fashion. There's still a lot of shaping going on to keep things neat, but that's the typical ideal shape and position for an eyebrow. Uh, and when you're in the office, it, another thing that I recommend, it sounds like you're doing the same thing. If I have a patient that I think might be a candidate for an eyebrow, I, I personally don't even know until I put my fingers on their forehead and kind of move things around and see how it's going to look. Because even though it may look like their brow is heavy when you elevate them, it may make them look startled or, or you know, kind of freaky. And you don't want to leave someone that way. So I always get them up, put them in front of a mirror, and I'll take a look at my, first myself just to see where I think their brow position should be, if we should change it at all. And if I think they're a pretty good candidate for it, then I'll say, okay, take a look in the mirror. Here's what a brow lift is going to do for you. And I'll take my fingers right. and I'll lift them up a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll say, this is where I think the brow should be. I think this is good. But it, I always tell patients, a brow lift changes your resting facial expression. It's going to change the way you look all the time. And right. you have to like it. So I'll put it in front of the mirror. The thing that's important about that, too, is remember, we always get patients that come in and they do finger surgery on themselves. And they say, I want it to look like this or look like that. A lot of times, finger surgery is impossible. So you have to also temper their enthusiasm for the looks that they create by pushing their face around uh, with the reality of surgery. And well, yeah, that, I agree. That, that's a great term. I like the finger surgery thing. And, and the, uh, to use that term, you know, sometimes... What they think looks good with finger surgery, as you said, may not be possible. But again, sometimes I don't think it looks good. Right, and and you got you got to walk them through that, and you got to really spend time with them to understand that. Look, you know, you, you may push your face around. They do it with facelifts all the time. They push it back, and and those that's just not reality. The reality is that surgery is a three dimensional. Ex 
experience and how it turns out on the surface uh, is is really not not expressed with finger surgery and and you can get an idea with it what they think is good looking but I, I spend a, a ton of time with patients trying to get their expectations in line with what's really going to happen with the operation. Uh, absolutely, you, know, you got to go in with your eyes open. And that that before we go to commercial break, which we're about to do, uh, we always talk about this on the show. You want to make sure you're going to properly trained, board-certified surgeons, so people that are certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery or people who are certified by the American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery in the case of brow lifts. Those are the type of people you want to go see. Be careful going out and just getting consultations in your local cosmetic surgery centers. Uh, make sure the people you're seeing are properly trained. They're board certified by the, the American Board of Plastic Surgery or the American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery and that you're seeing a few different people to get opinions. This is important stuff. Make sure you're doing your homework. With that, we're going to take a short commercial break, and we'll come back, and we'll continue our highbrow discussion about brow lifts here on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about brow lifts this week, and we are joined by Dr. Jay Calvert, board-certified plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. And Dr. Calvert and I have been talking about brow lifts and, and we just talking about how we're choosing the patients and how you, you counsel people to know what they're going to look like and set their expectations. We Just a little earlier, we've been talking about the coronal brow lift, which is one technique Let's start going through some of these other techniques because there's lots of ways to do brow lifts. We've come a long way since 1910 when the first one was done. And since the coronal brow lift, one of the the earlier techniques that came about was something called a direct brow lift. 
Uh, and instead of having the incision way back in the top of the head, this is a technique where you make an incision right along the hairline. It's called a direct brow lift or uh, uh, pre-trichal, which means in front of the hair brow lift. And uh, sometimes people will make incisions directly down, uh, immediately above the eyebrows and call that a direct brow lift as well. So we're talking about incisions that are made somewhere around the forehead. Uh, Dr. Calvert, have you had any experience with these techniques? Absolutely. I, I like um, I like direct brow lifts in a select group of patients as well. Um, if the if the patients really are skin excess with uh, with a pretty long forehead, or if you can if you can really see that there's a very uh, very narrow band of the brow that you want to elevate, it's not a sort of a general brow lift. And I think these direct excision techniques are great for getting exact uh, contouring of the brow. They're not, uh, they're not my most common technique, but I feel like I use them more than, than I had anticipated I would over the years. And, you know, there's probably one or two patients a year that these techniques really make a difference uh, in, in their outcome. All right, so, again, we're, just, we're choosing the technique for the patient. So coronals, directs, uh, the next step would be the temporal brow lift, which is kind of a variation on a direct brow lift where you're making an incision either right in front of the hair in the temple area or back into the hair-bearing skin in the temple area. And this is an incision that's, uh, the the technique is meant to just raise the corner or the tail of the eyebrow to get a little bit of elevation and flattening of what's going on on the outside part, you know, the part of the eyebrow near the ear and the outside of the eye, the corner of the eye. So what are your thoughts on temporal brow lifts? Well, this is probably my most common technique. I, I probably use a temporal brow lift with a facelift, you know, more more like 80% of the time. And and this is a, it, it's a uh, very, uh, it's a very powerful brow lift because you can contour the lateral brow, the skin uh, to the to the lateral aspect of the uh, of the eye socket, you know, on the che- over the the cheekbone. And if you want to sneak down into the mid face, it's very simple to get the the mid face to lift up as well. And and it's a it's an easy incision for the patients to tolerate. Uh, typically, my my incision is about three centimeters long, about a little over an inch, and you go down. You know, deep into the deep tissue, so it's a very safe uh, lift, and and the the results I think are spectacular, very natural, uh, well tolerated, and, and pretty pretty quick recovery. All right, so let's talk about your technique for this, and you're you're able to access everything and get get improvements all the way around the outside, you know, the the side of the face, you know, from the outer half of the eye down onto the top part of the outer cheek. And you're doing it with with about an inch long incision, and is it in the hair or is it in front of the hair? I do it within the hair. I'm typically uh, about uh, you know half an inch back, a centimeter back from the uh, hairline, and the incision is uh, you know I I really contour. This is where the finger surgery comes in in handy because I will take some skin behind the incision, some hair bearing skin, and close it up, uh, which also helps with the lift. Uh, but I'll couple this uh, sometimes with the with the paramedian incision, which again then becomes the full brow lift. But with the uh, with the lateral brow, a lot of times I'm doing this in the setting of a facelift, where there's some cheek laxity, some lateral, some t- 
tail of the brow that's hanging down, and I want to really get that elevated. And I may or may not uh, incorporate this with a with a incision within the mouth to pass an endoscope or to use a, a, a device known as an endotine, which is a uh, an absorbable device used to lift the cheek. Uh, so there's there's just so many variations, and again, it's all about customization and contouring of that portion of the face. And so that temporal brow lift really is much more in my hands than, than just the tail of the brow. It's all about that entire uh, cheek temple area. All right. Now, you mentioned something that uh, brings us to the next technique. You were talking about the endotine, and we're going to talk about endotines. But we're, typically when people are using endotines, they're using them in an endoscopic brow lift. And that would be the next advancement in technique. So to review, we talked about the coronal, the direct, the temporal, and now we're talking about the endoscopic brow lift. Endoscopic brow lift is a technique where we're not making big incisions. In fact, the only reason we're making incisions at all is to have access to get under the skin and use a camera, an endoscope, and long instruments to be able to do what we need to do underneath the skin and release things and get them to sit where we want them to sit, to, re- to release things and make it relax and then elevate them and stick them where we want them to be. And we're able to reposition the brow without taking out big wax of skin to try and pull things up. And the way that we're holding things in place varies. And, and my favorite way to do it is with an endotine. The endotine is, uh, well, it's kind of like a carpet tack. That's how it works. This is an absorbable little tack that attaches to the bone. You know, so we, we make the incisions to do the brow lift, and there's typically uh, four or five incisions, depending upon how you're doing them. And they're little bitty incisions. They're a little bit longer than a grain of rice. And uh, you're making the incisions in the hair-bearing scalp, so you're not going to see the scars. You're, you do a dissection that goes down deep onto the bone, and you're right on top of the surface of the bone. You're elevating everything up and releasing it where the brow is, so you, you get the brow able to be moved, because all the stuff that we have in our face is stuck down to the bone pretty good, and without releasing it, it's not going to go too far. And in this case, we go all the way down to the bone, release it from that the, the deepest level all the way up to the skin, and we're able to lift it and position it where we want. And these endotines are the way that we hold it in place. Like I said, it's like a carpet tack. We attach it to the bone way up in the hair-bearing skin, the hair-bearing scalp, we reposition the skin where we want and then push down. And when we do that, they have little tiny teeth that grab the undersurface of the skin and hold it in place. And that allows the skin to heal in its new position. And over about a six-month period, those little tacks become a gel as the body helps it dissolve. And you can massage them away. So they're not there forever. And they do their work. They, they hold the skin in place, allow it to fix in place. I love endotines. I think they really revolutionized the way that we do brow lifts. Uh, without using endotines, there are suture techniques and people, I, I, before I had a, the endotine, I used to use screws. Tell what, what, what have you done, Dr. Calvert? How are you holding the brow up with the endoscopic brow lifts now? Well, I've done all of the above as well, and uh, I typically uh, drill cortical tunnels uh, to fix the brow in the paramedian position. So this is when I'm trying to elevate the brow over sort of the the middle portion of the uh, of the eye. I'll drill either either use an endotine, which you know is is a really great way to do it, but oftentimes I'll use the uh, the cortical tunnels just because it's 
it's less expensive and it's very easy. So there's a there's a little device, a jig that's made by Zomed, which is a a company. And again, I have no financial interest in any of these co- companies. Um, and I'll drill that drill that tunnel through the bone, and I'll just fix the brow directly to the bone, and that has worked very well. Um, yeah, and, and the, the particle are tunnel reliable, and uh, I like those also. It's just a question of uh, expense, and uh, yeah. I do both. I, and again, I'm mostly doing lateral temporal brows. I, I think the few of my patients need that medial brow elevated, so I, I don't do that too often. But maybe uh, you know, one out of every five, I'm doing some sort of paramedian incision. Yeah, and and I I think if you if you consider the upper part of a facelift incision, I, I tend to curl it upward and allow me to raise the tail of the brow and to redistribute that skin in the corner of the eye. Uh, so in that regard, I probably agree with you. But if I'm looking at someone whose brow I've got to elevate, I like those endoscopic techniques. And you can fix the thing in position any way you want. You know, if you're using a suture in the cortical tunnel, it basically, for those of you listening, is you're, you're making a little uh, anchor hole through the bone, and you're allowed, then you're able to get a stitch in the brow where you'd like it and then lift it up and anchor it on through that, that little hole that you've made, the tunnel, and tie it down through that. And that's never going to slip. It's never going to go down. So it's a nice way to hold things in place. Uh, there's lots of ways to do this stuff. At the end of the day, if you're with a surgeon that has good experience and good technique, then you're going to have a nice result. You want to make sure you're choosing the, the procedure that's matching what you need. And in my hands, I really like those endoscopic techniques. But I will say the endotine does make the operation more expensive for the surgeon. I typically don't pass the cost on to my patients. Uh, we just absorb it, but it can be, I mean, it is a, a pretty expensive device. And you, you can get just as nice a result by using much less expensive suture material like Dr. Calvert's talking about. So it, it really depends on how your, your surgeon's comfortable, what they prefer to do. The, if the end result's good, that's all that really matters. Now, we've talked about the coronal approach, direct approach, temporal, endoscopic. Now, the latest thing is transbleph, which means going through the upper lid incision. If we're working on the eyes, working on the brow, we're going to talk about that in, in just a moment. We're about to go to commercial break. We'll come back and talk about going through the eyelids to help the brow position improve. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Mike Dixon, who's also a board-certified plastic surgeon practicing in Texas. We'll be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. 
People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. I'm joined by Dr. Jay Calvert and now by Dr. Mike Dixon. And we're all board-certified plastic surgeons. We're talking about brow lifts. We've been talking about different techniques. And again, we talk about the coronal, the direct, the temporal, the endoscopic. And now we're going to talk about using the upper eyelids as a way to get at the brow and reposition it to make it a more attractive position. And uh, this is something that is probably the most modern technique. Uh, it has, I think, special applications when you're going to use it, uh, not something you use all the time, but can be very effective. And Dr. Dixon, first of all, I want to welcome you to New Reflections. Thanks for calling in. Why, thank you, Dr. Rubenstein. Well, I appreciate having you on the show. Uh, talk to us. We, we talked a little bit earlier, and so now you're just joining us. We were talking earlier in the show about the balance between the brow and the upper lids. And I think for this particular technique, it's very important to talk about that when you're choosing to do a trans-bleph uh, or trans-blepharoplasty brow lift. Uh, you really have to understand the balance between the eyelid skin and the position of the brow. So when you're seeing a patient, Dr. Calvert and I already discussed this. Tell us your approach. How are you determining the technique you're going to use if you're going to do a brow lift at all uh, how are you counseling the patient, and what are you looking for? Well, you know, I'm certainly not usually using a transblepharoplasty incision unless I am doing a blepharoplasty as well. Uh, I find that I use a, an endoscopic approach or maybe a, a temporal approach if I'm not doing a blepharoplasty. But if I'm doing a blepharoplasty, I see no reason to put another scar on the patient, and it's easy to access uh, the area and set that brow in position uh, and then start to measure how much skin I want to take out to really balance that upper lid uh, with relationship to the brow. So that's when I use the transbleph uh, or transblepharoplasty decision, and I find it works fantastic. It's easy access. Uh, I can use an endo time when I do that, and sometimes I use a, a suture fixation when I do that. Okay. But it, it makes it easy on the table to really see what you're going to get. Uh, through that transplant incision. Right, Dr. Calvert, your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I've used this very infrequently. I, I think that uh, there's a lot of forces that are difficult to account for in terms of aesthetics when you're going through the blepharoplasty incision. And maybe I just don't do this enough to really say, oh, you know, I, I would love to do this uh, technique. 
However, in men who've lost their hair, uh, in people that have very high foreheads, I, I, there's a there's a lot of reasons to do it. And when I do it, I've I've abandoned the suture techniques. I use endotines, and I find it to be reliable. Um, it, it's for somebody in my hands where they don't need a whole lot out of the brow lift. They need more of the blepharoplasty. And this is an adjunct to their blepharoplasty. If they really need brow contouring, I'm, I'm much more interested in the other techniques we talked about. All right. I couldn't so I, agree more. Okay. All right. So we know more. it's definitely a limited application to go through the, the eyelid incision. And, and Dr. Dixon, you mentioned something very important. We've been talking about the balance between where the brow is and whether you're doing an upper eyelid procedure or you're going to do a brow procedure or both. And it's very important to, to understand that it typically you don't want to do, if you're a patient thinking about having this stuff done, you don't want to do your upper eyelid surgery and then come back and have your brow done typically because when you elevate the brow, and this is the take-home message for those of you listening, when we try and get the brow to a higher position and re- rejuvenate where it is, we rejuvenate your look with the brow positioning, you want to make sure that you're not overdoing it because the reason that people get that deer-in-the-headlight look is when you lift the brow, you're pulling the skin of the upper eyelid as well. And so when you set your brow position, you're going to remove the need for the removal of some of that upper eyelid skin. So it's very important if you think that you're going to be going through a brow and an upper eyelid procedure, or if you're not sure you think you want to try one first and and then judge the other, you, you ought to be looking at that brow lift first because it's going to change the amount of skin that you need to remove in the upper eyelid. So it, you know, that's an important thing just as surgeons to make the order of the operation in that way. And second, as a patient, if you're thinking about having both of these done and doing them at different times, you've really got to have that brow done first. Well, absolutely correct. Uh, you know, my, my patients certainly appreciate the ability to close their eyes. <laughs> and if you do that blepharoplasty and are aggressive with it first and then decide you're going to do a brow lift, all of a sudden you look down and you say, oh, my gosh, how are they ever going to close their eye now that I've done it this way? So you should always set that brow first. And then, like you said, uh, you're going to take out a lot less skin, most likely in that upper bleph, just because you've elevated that brow. Absolutely. But, you know, no this is a really important point because a lot of people come and say, I want my eyes done. And what they don't realize is if you don't pay attention to the brow and you just do an upper lid blepharoplasty, well, a lot of times that, that upper eyelid is going to recruit skin from, there's only one place you can get it from, that's from the brow. So they're going to exactly. do, they're going to get their blepharoplasty done, but all of a sudden they're going to look angry because the brow has come down as a result of not releasing the, the periosteum, not releasing the muscles and getting that brow set, even if they don't really need an elevation, I think it's important to consider whether or not they have enough skin to just do the blepharoplasty or, other, or otherwise you're going to get a patient who not only looks angry, but now they're going to be angry at you to boot. Right, and there's a, that's a great I've point because there are some patients. Have, uh, go ahead, Doc Dixon. I've, I've had patients that have come to me that have had a blepharoplasty done other places and then want a brow lift because their brow is just below their uh, superorbital rim. And, I mean, you're sort of up against it at that point. There's not a lot of things that I can do well to make that look fantastic. Once yeah, you, not, not without skin grafts or skin something. Out. Yeah, it's a, it's a big problem I that I couldn't way. agree more that you need to be assessed for 
your brow. And if you have significant brow ptosis or if you have significant forehead lines, it may be because subconsciously you're holding that brow up to get that lid skin out of the way. Right, and that's another thing. Lid skin, that brow is going to fall. Yeah, there's there's definitely forces that are going both ways. These are excellent points. And and there are some patients that come in, and as Dr. Calvert just said, they can look angry. It's not, and their brow position at rest is not. It's not that they're. It's all that low uh, necessarily. It's just that their uh, their muscles are. They tend to frown a bit, and they just have very high muscle tone. And sometimes you can do a brow lift, a brow lift technique, say endoscopic brow lift, where you're getting in there and you're going to release all these muscles, and maybe not even elevate the brow. Or not elevated a whole heck of a lot, but just by releasing the muscles and relaxing the area, you take away a lot of those deep frown lines that particularly you'll see in men between the eyebrows, the furrows that you might get in the upper part of the nose, along the top of the bridge of the nose. And by releasing the muscles and just allowing things to relax, you can really freshen their look, make them look so much more relaxed and at ease than they normally have been, just releasing the muscles and without even having to elevate the brow too much. And I agree totally. I One of my mantras is small, change, uh, small changes make big differences. And when you make can, can make just those very small changes, you get a big difference. And, you know, the, the patient's friends say, what are you doing differently? Are you exercising, dieting, getting more sleep rather than... What happened to you? <laughs> it's, all, it's all about making people look better. They want to look right. better. They don't want to look different. You definitely exactly. don't want to get the what happened to you comment. You know, I always tell <laughs> patients that you want to, it, it, to me, a home run is when someone doesn't know exactly what you've done. You just look great. And right. an absolute failure is when they come to you and want to know the name of your plastic surgeon. Yep. Agreed. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we were talking about releasing the muscles, and Dr. Dixon, you have been doing something lately that is kind of out of the realm of the cosmetic procedure, but you've been helping a lot of folks with something that can really torment their lives, and it's migraine headaches. And we're using using techniques that are very similar to what we do for Browless. Tell us a little bit about this new approach with migraine surgery. You know, I can't say how new it is. Of course, uh, Dr. Guyron at Case Western uh, pioneered this work, and it really stemmed from the fact that initially surgeons were having patients that had uh, neurotoxin, botula- uh, Botox, Dysport, et cetera, come back and say, you know, Doc, my, my, my headaches got better. And if those patients responded to that, subsequently got brow lifts, they said, you know, my headaches have gone away forever. And that interested me because I had people in my family that suffered migraine. So I went up and worked with Dr. Guyron, and really the basis of this is that some people's migraines are anatomically based, and that there are some uh, nerve compressions that can cause migraine, uh, usually of the superorbital supertrochlear nerves, or the zygomaticotemporal branch of the facial nerve, or excuse me, of the uh, trigeminal nerve, or of the greater occipital nerve in the, in the back of the neck. So All right, so, well, so what we're talking about, just those of you who are listening, it's a lot of medical speak, but what we're talking right. about here are these sensory nerves, the nerves that help you feel, and these are nerves that are coming out around the eyes, coming out in the upper part of the cheek, 
and then there's another nerve in the back of your head towards the base of your neck, uh, or actually towards the base of your of your skull, at the top part of your neck, that is is theoretically being mashed on by muscles in that area. And that's one of the reasons that lots of folks are treated for migraines with Botox, as Dr. Dixon just said. The, the yeah. idea here is you inject those areas, you relax the muscle, they don't mash on those nerves as much, you don't have the pain from them, and, and no more headache. And it's certainly not a treatment for everyone's migraine. But there is a certain subset of people who have migraines that will respond to this the surgery. And believe me, it's, it's life-changing yeah, pretty spectacular. So the surgery, tell me about the surgical approach. What are you doing? Usually I do this uh, procedure as an endoscopic brow lift where uh, the main component uh, in the front of the face is to resect those corrugator muscles that make that, as uh, the neurotoxin companies would tell you, the 11 between your eyes. And you'll see that there'll be a couple of nerves, the, uh, the superorbital, supertrochlear, will often in these migraine patients have lots of branches that go through that muscle rather than one main branch that goes around the muscle. So it's a little bit tougher to section, but that's why there's more of an anatomic basis for some people's migraine. Their nerve is just anatomically different than other people's that makes it get compressed more easily. Mm -hmm. So we dissect that muscle away from that nerve and take that muscle out. Maybe put a little fat back in that area to help fill any contour deformity help prevent a little bit of scarring so that nerve doesn't scar back down. I make a small uh, temporal incision uh, to approach the zygomatico-temporal branch. And then I make a little incision in the back of the neck uh, to approach the greater occipital where it comes through a muscle called the semispinalis capitis. And again, you'll find that these patients that have had migraines that do respond to the neurotoxin, which is the most important thing. If you don't respond to the neurotoxin, none of these surgeries are going to work on your migraine you'll find that their nerve has multiple branches going through that that muscle or you'll find that that, that muscle is very tight over that nerve. And just by relieving the pressure on that nerve, that's the basis of some people's migraines, certainly not everyone. So the, the, the quick summary then is if you get your migraines treated with neurotoxin, Botox, Dysport, and you get relief, this might be good for you. It may be good for you, yes. What percentage of patients do you think that respond to Botox treatment for their migraines end up having success when they choose surgery? In my patient population, it's probably somewhere between 75 and 85 percent. I can't say that everyone that has responded to neurotoxin and had this procedure has had uh, their migraines go away. And I can't say... Uh, that every patient that gets a result gets their migraines to go away. But if I can get them to go from a pain severity of, on a scale of 1 to 10 from a 7 to a 2 or a 3, and instead of having two migraines a week, they might have two or three a year, to me, that's a win. And certainly to the patient, that's a huge win. Oh, yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you, my brother-in-law has horrible migraines that he gets probably once a week. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, we've never actually tried Botox on him. We'll give him a whirl, and maybe I'm going to take a trip out to Texas to see you. Come on out. Uh, you know, the, the thing that uh, people don't understand about migraines is how much money, time, uh, lost work, uh, lost, you know, salary really is, uh, is 
weighing our country down. These migraines are so common, and people wind up in emergency rooms getting Demerol shots, and and they're they're out of commission for a day or two sometimes. And that over a year, if you, that happens to you five six times, that's a percentage of your time off. And uh, Dr. Guyron, I think, reviewed this in uh, Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery in our journal, and uh, and the the figures are staggering. So having the the surgery performed and getting it where the migraines become less frequent or are gone really is just an amazing benefit to these patients. Their lives are better, but also their the, the cost on our healthcare system and to the patient really drops off the table, and, and it can change their lives in a lot of ways other than in addition to them being pain-free. Definitely a life-changing option. Uh, we're going to go to a, our last commercial break. When we come back, we're talking about life-changing procedures with migraines, and so we'll talk, it's, some, it's something that insurance might might cover. And in the case of an aesthetic brow lift, what are the costs? We'll, we'll be right back after a short commercial break, and we'll talk all about the money when it comes to brow lifts. We'll be back after these few words here on New Reflections. Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're having a very highbrow discussion. We're talking about brow lifts, and I'm joined by Dr. Jay Calvert and Dr. Mike Dixon, who are both board-certified plastic surgeons. We've been talking about all the different techniques of brow lifts and, in fact, just finished a discussion about surgery for migraines because the muscles that we're working on when we're doing brow lifts are sometimes the culprit that could be causing migraines. So, we're uh, we're I'm, I'm wondering if we're doing this to treat migraines. You know, Dr. Dixon, the procedure that you're doing to treat migraines is this something that insurance might cover? We have had great difficulty in getting insurance companies to cover this. And you know, as 
as Dr. Calvert was saying before, if they really looked at a cost-benefit analysis, it's so much less expensive to have this procedure than it is to keep paying for a patient's Imitrex or Topamax, uh, migraine medicine, or their trips to the emergency room, et cetera. And we've tried to talk to the insurance companies about that, but of course, they don't want to approve and pay for any new type of procedure. I've also talked to Dr. Guyaron and at Case Western, and he has difficulty getting insurance companies to approve it. So, yeah, it's not it's not surprising. Beat. It's just not surprising at all. You know, insurance companies are in business to not pay. Uh, and but in reality, they they would save money by paying for it because they would no longer pay for the expensive medicines that the patient is on. Sometimes for the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah, no question. But, you know, until that changes, people are looking at paying cash. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the costs. Dr. Calvert, if someone wants to see you in Beverly Hills, they come in, you think they need a, a brow lift. What is the price range we're looking at? It depends on how extensive the procedure is, and, and it's a little bit more expensive in my neck of the woods, I think, than uh, the rest of the country. I know the average uh, price for a brow lift around the country is somewhere around $5,000 surgency. Um, out in Beverly Hills, it's more around uh, $10,000. Um, but it depends on whether I'm doing a full-on brow, a lateral brow, and, again, I'm rarely doing it in the uh, in the setting of a brow lift alone. That's pretty rare. And so with my with the way that I do things, and I think a lot more people are doing this, I sort of do global pricing. There's sort of an upper facial rejuvenation price or a total facial rejuvenation price, and and then you do the things that the patient needs. So if they need a blast, a, a lower, you know, an upper upper lid blepharoplasty, lower lid blepharoplasty, a brow lift, you know, and a mid face, that's kind of the same price whether I do the lower lids or don't do the lower lids or do the upper lids. And I found with the global pricing that that makes you uh, less likely to get into a discussion with the patient about, well, what if I don't do the mid-face lift? Well, what if I don't do this? And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah, kind of bargaining with the bargaining with the procedures to try and make it fit the budget. So, so then that, that's actually a, to me a, a unique concept. What is the price range then for say upper face, since that's what we're talking about? Usually, that's around anywhere from twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, and that usually includes the brow, the the upper lids, the lower lids, and the mid-face. Yeah, that's actually that's, not that's, that's not that bad because when you do it piecemeal, you're going to come out to pretty much the same price in my neck of the woods. In Miami, uh, brow lifts are ranging anywhere from I'd say four to six thousand dollars, depending upon the uh, technique used and the amount of work involved in a particular patient. Uh, Dr. Dixon, how about uh, out in Amarillo? Yeah, you know when you start uh, considering uh, the surgical center fees, the anesthesia fees, et cetera, you're in that $5,000 range just for brow only. Right. And, you know, it goes up the, the more stuff that you want to do. But, of course, I, I, I'm interested to hear that, that pricing model from Dr. Calvert. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe I, I need to start looking at, at, uh, <laughs> at that type of situation myself. Yeah, I think actually I, I can't take credit for that. Dr. Nahai taught me that. He's a uh. He really believed that, you know, by nickel and diming with patients, uh, you know, with the coordinators, they they wound up, you know, not getting the right operation. He just said, look, it's the same sure. price. You want to do the brow alone? Great, it's 15000 You want to do the upper face, the lids, and everything else? It's still 15000 Right. So well, I think that is also it disincentivizes trying to cut corners and do the wrong thing because you're, you're covered no matter what you want to do. One last thing to talk about before we go 
We're talking about surgical techniques, but then there's a lot of people out there that are doing injectable brow lifts, whether you're using Botox or Dysport, or now people are using fillers like Sculptra uh, and others to try and affect a brow lift. Uh, Dr. Dixon, your thoughts on injectable brow lifts? Well, I think that you can get a minimal amount of lateral brow lift with uh, neurotox. I have zero experience with fillers to try to achieve a brow lift, so I can't speak intelligently about that at all. But I think you can get a minimal amount of brow lift laterally uh, in my hands with neurotoxin. Patients have to understand that it's certainly going to be temporary, might last three months. They're going to have to have injections over and over and over. Each right. time you have those injections, the result may be a bit variable. It may not be right. the exact amount of lift that you got the previous time you had the injection. Dr. Calvert, your thoughts? Yeah, same. I mean, there are a lot of patients also, though, that don't have time to get in for surgery. So, you know, we, we have a very uh, aggressive uh, Medispa that uh, we have a lot of people that are, that are you know, we're in Hollywood, so there's a lot of people that are busy doing the news and doing TV and acting, and they, they just don't have time for surgery. So we, we do everything we can for them with neurotoxins and, you know, pumping up this and, and filling that and, and uh, you can get a great effect with it, but ultimately there's nothing better for long-term results than a, than a solid endoscopic brow lift. All right. Well, we're out of time for our discussion. I want to give you guys a chance to let people know how to find you. Dr. Calvert, of course, practicing in Beverly Hills. If someone wants to find you and get more information, how are they going to do that? Uh, easy enough. You just go to drcalvert.com. Uh, or uh, you can call the office, 310-777-8800. And Dr. Dixon? I'm certainly at the uh, opposite end of the spectrum from Beverly Hills, being in Amarillo, Texas. But it is AmarilloBeauty.com, or my office number is 806-242-2001. All right. Well, thank you so much for both of you joining the show. We're at the end of the show. And... Uh, I want to thank you for listening. We're going to be having some new shows coming up in the near future talking about revision breast surgery. We're going to be talking about uh, arm and thigh lifts coming up, and we'll be talking about male plastic surgery procedures. Thanks for listening on New Reflections. We'll see you soon with new shows coming up in the month of July and August. We'll see you next time here on New Reflections. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.